following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. We, we are trying to fill in, we're missing some parshas of the week with topics, connecting them to topics, so we're skipping ahead. This is actually three weeks in, three or four weeks Torah portion, known as Vayigash. And the ones that we missed is usually because there's no great topic for that parasha. So, uh, so uh, connect it to business. Mm-hmm. Very hard to find mm-hmm. a topic to connect to business. In this case, it actually is a good topic, but it's very non-PC. So I always was pushing off talking about it. And the truth, honestly, I didn't know much about it. So one of the good things about giving this class, it pushes me to, to learn things that that I wouldn't usually learn. So. So one of the things, actually, the parsha is the climax of the story of Jacob, of Joseph, and Jacob reuniting. The whole story goes on for many weeks in the Torah, many portions, where, as we know, J- Joseph was missing, or Jacob thought he was missing. He was, Jacob didn't know he was alive for 22 years. He was gone. Jacob thought he was. It's a question: Did he know he's alive, or he just didn't know where he was, or he thought he was dead? Whatever the case was. Um, clearly, he was missing his son, his favorite son, so to speak. He had, he had 11 others, but he still didn't have Joseph. Um, and this parsha of Ayigash actually is the climax of when they meet. Of Finally, uh, Jacob hears he's alive, and Joseph's son sends, he's the viceroy of Egypt, sends wagons to pick up his father to bring him down to Egypt from the land of Canaan. So I'm passing around the edge. Here's a pen. Um, so, so we, we're skipping the climax part, which is when they, well, they haven't met yet, actually, at this point. This is the point where Joseph is telling his brothers, um, after his father found out he's alive, and there was, was a whole story how his father told, uh, they told the father he's alive, they didn't want to shock him. He was an old, he was 120 at the time, I believe, so they didn't want to shock uh, Jacob. Um, so they sort of had a break at them lightly. He says the story goes that uh, he had a granddaughter named Sarah, the daughter of Asher, and she played harp and she sang a song in front of Jacob, um, telling him, saying how Jacob was alive. Od Yosef Chai, how Yosef was still alive. That's the story, the story goes. But in any case, what happens at the end of the parasha, so the whole family is now going to end up moving down to Egypt. This is obviously the greater plan of God, and this is the beginning of the Exodus. Um, all the purpose of the exodus um, that the Jewish nation should end up in Egypt and of course be enslaved etc etc so this is as they're going to move down um, Joseph a very interesting conversation here between Joseph and his brothers Joseph tells his brothers and this is the verses in Genesis verse 31 from the top of the page he says Yomer Yosef el Joseph tells his brothers and to the house of his father Elev um, go up Oh, go up and tell Paro, Agido Paro, Omre love, and I will say to him, I will let Paro know, the, the king, my household, who are living in the land of Canaan, have, are going to come to me. Okay, now, the, as we know, most of our forefathers, including um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were all shepherds. And many of the tribes here, of Jacob's sons and the 12 tribes, were also shepherds. Joseph wasn't, he was the viceroy, but the, the, uh, the, his children were, many of them were shepherds. And there's a lot of discussion as to why shepherding in the Torah's view is shows a sign of compassion, it shows compassion. Um, right, God, supposedly by Moses, as we know, Moses was also a shepherd. God says, famous story with Moses, he sees him shepherding his sheep, he says, if you have such compassion for your sheep, surely you'll have compassion on my children. So there's some connection between shepherding and, and our forefathers. Um, but the problem was in Egypt, um, and this is a historical note that it's a known thing, even in not related to the Torah. The Egypt, Egyptians were pagans at the time, and their main god was the sheep god. Sheep was a deity in Egyptian culture. Um, even if you've ever been uh, many of the, uh, the museums of natural history where they show they have King Tut, many of the whatever the writings called on the walls hieroglyphics hieroglyphics show sheep. Sheep was was one of the not the only sheep god, the only god was one of the gods of the Egyptians, one of the deities. So there was a, there was a problem here. The brothers, as we're saying, and Jacob were shepherds, 
Jacob probably was retired at the time, it's 120, but the brothers were coming down, they were shepherds, and being a shepherd in Egypt is not exactly a good profession because, because it was God. Sheep were treated sort of like being a, a slaughter in India, cow, uh, slaughter cows in India, it's not a very good profession. That's why Indian restaurants uh, we were talking about are mostly vegetarian. Because the cow in Egypt, in, in India, is, is a god, is viewed as holy. So, so, same here in Egypt, the sheep is viewed as holy. So the question is, so how is they going to reconcile their shepherding with this concept of this is the deity in Egypt? So it's not a very good profession. So, so Yosef goes on to tell them, he says, Vanashim, he tells them, the Roet sound are shepherds. They were always owners of flocks. And their flock and their cattle, they brought to Egypt. And he tells the brothers, he says, he tells the brothers, if when Paro calls you and he's going to want to meet with you, you're the assistant, you know, the viceroy's brothers, family, so he's, when you come to Egypt, he's going to want to talk to you, he's going to meet with you. The first question he's going to ask you is, what is your occupation? Okay? Um, which is interesting in itself that... Uh, think the first thing someone meets you this is always a, a beef of mine when people meet you the first thing they always ask you is what do you do for a living right so that's part of I think part of our American culture Western culture not just America where um, people are judged by their occupation so fortunately I'm a rabbi so I'm judged by, uh, by my occupation it's not so good these days um, so so right a rabbi a rabbis in the world don't have such a good reputation so so uh I disagree. I disagree as well. <laughs> and he's just been this guy in Washington. It doesn't matter. You know, uh, one. Yeah, there's a few bad apples, right? Do I agree. But people do do that. Thing, but even if they do, we think of it as a conversational gambit. They, they know nothing about you if they're just meeting you. Hey, what, how do you, what, what do you do? What do you do? How do you spend your time? Right, but it's more than that. I, I, you're true. If it's just making conversation, which many times it is, but there's something about. I think. Listen, I do the same thing, honestly. Um, I'll admit my sins. You, you judge people based on their occupation. If someone tells you they, you know, they're, they're, you know, sweep the floors in a restaurant, so then it's a different. You look at them differently than if they say they're they're working in investment banking. So it's, it's we judge people based on their occupation. Well, let me let me for, get for so better or for worse. We know it came from Egypt. Because well, <laughs> I have girls, so it's a little different. And but I always ask, oh, so if they have a friend or they want to go out, oh, so what does their dad do? What I always it? ask that. <laughs> that's a that's an economic question. That's an important question for who's paying for the wedding. That's different. That's a whole different issue. But but the point is, there, I think it is part of it. The culture is economics is so important in our society. We, we that a, how how much a person makes and how productive they are is how we judge them. So if a person is not making a lot of money, it could be you know a very fine person, but not someone who's producing, so to speak. Um, hasn't made his first million yet, so we look so at them. You're another non-profit person, and you're. <laughs> no, so I, you're right. No, even as non-profits, we judge people by how much they make because it's important for the non-profit to, to get right <laughs> for a relationship. So no, it's, it's sad, but that's. I think it's a fact of life in our culture. So so we see it's not an, as as Lydia's pointing out. It's not a new thing. It's it's an old thing. It's uh, as you see here. Joseph is stating the first question Pharaoh's going to ask you is what, what is your occupation? Mm -hmm. Okay, so, it's, so we see it's not just Western culture, it's Egyptian culture at the time. I had a friend, I always tell the story, a colleague who was a rabbi. You know, it always bothered him when people uh, asked that question. The rabbis are very self-conscious, I guess, of their profession. <laughs> so uh, so he, would, he would always say, like if he wasn't happy, he wasn't in a good mood to talk, so he would tell the guy, uh, I'm an auditor for the IRS. <coughs> so he says that would always end the conversation right there. <laughs> And say, oh, nice to meet you, and let's move on. <laughs> so, so that's one way of... Nobody wants to tell you anything. Nobody wants to tell you. That's what you think. Right. So, so the point is, so that's, that's a side interesting historical note or social note that says the first question for would ask is what is your occupation? And actually, I'm saying it's not just a side note. It's, it's rel very relevant to our topic. I saw, did see Rav Hirsch, um, who Hirsch, who leader of German Jewry, he has a commentary on the Torah, he mentions this, he says that in, you see that the Egyptian society, the first question would be, you know, it's what, and actually, oh, I put it here on the sheet, we're going to discuss it. So it is relevant to our topic, as we'll see. 
But, but Joseph continues, so he says to the brothers, you, Pharaoh will ask you your occupation. And he says in verse 34, he answers, he says, answer them, Amartem, you shall say, you shall say to them, to Pharaoh, to Pharaoh, Anshe Miknah, you have a dech. And we are owners of livestock, we are shepherds. Minurenu Vadata from our youth until now. Us and our ancestors, um, we were all shepherds. Goshen, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, because all Kito and the, the verse states very clearly, because all shepherds are abhor, uh, abhorrent to the Egyptians, as we said. Mm-hmm. So it seems clear. By the way, it's interesting. I saw another footnote that, on the contrary, the fact that sheep were the god of the Egyptians, you'd think shepherds would be looked at. Exactly, that's what You know, I they're taking care of the sheep. Mm-hmm. But since, I guess, it was done for economic you know, you were taking care of the sheep, not because the sheep was go- were gods, but because the sheep were a way to make money, I guess, so that's why it was looked at. But the, the verse cle- seems to say very clearly that the Egyptians despised um, shepherds. Now the question is, so why is Joseph telling his brothers to say that? So you think, is they're moving down to this new land, Right, they're gonna. We want to be, to be welcomed in the land. So why would he tell his brothers, tell Pharaoh that you're shepherds in this way, and this is a despised, you know, uh, career choice in Egypt? What? So What's going on? So they would not be mixed with the rest of the population. Oh. So they would be kept separately. Excellent. Excellent. So, so Rashi explains. Rashi says, why are they despised? The Rashi says, as we mentioned, that's the next quote on the sheet. Since all shepherds are abhorrent to Egyptians, because sheep are a deity to the Egyptians. So that's how Rashi understands. It. But sort of her, Rev Hirsch, in his commentary here, says an unbelievable thing. I never seen very sharp and pointed words. It's um, very, uh, many would take it as not PC in our day and age. Again, he lived in, this is uh, pre-World War II Germany, before the Nazis came to power. This was, he died, I believe, in 1933, Rev Hirsch, or 1930. Yeah. So this was before Nazis came to power. He and Jews in Germany were a very big part of the culture, um, assimilated and, as we know, um, not, they weren't despised at that point in history. Okay, so look what he writes. He writes an unbelievable thing. Um, first of all, he points out that this is really, and, and what happens is, I don't put the rest of the verses here, they come down and Pharaoh gives them this separate land called Goshen within Egypt. It was a suburb of, of the capital um, in, in Egypt. Um, but out of, out of the city, he gives them land. So the simple interpretation is he gives them the land because they should have places for their flock um, to, to graze. But, but the first points out here, it's, no, it's a whole different um, point here. And he says this is the first ghetto, Jewish ghetto, in the history of the world, even though the Jewish nation wasn't even born yet, technically. It was the family of Jacob coming down. Seventy people, as we know, came down to Egypt at this point. The Torah lists 70 people. Um, and it lists them by name, who the 70 people were. This is the 12 tribes, their spouses. Of course, Dina was the daughter of Jacob and, and, and the extended family, their children and great-grandchildren at the time. So 70 people come down and right away they're put in this separate area. So he points out, reverse points out, this is the first ghetto that we find in Jewish history. So he says an unbelievable thing about ghettos. We always look at ghettos as a terrible thing. Jews were historically were discriminated against. They were told to live in certain areas. They couldn't they couldn't uh, cross many times, leave the ghetto. So he points out um, that this wasn't the case. Fascinating statement, very sharp statement. He says here, in a state like Egypt, the individual, he says, completely identified with this occupation, as you mentioned. So he points out this, this point that I made, um, which is that you're defined by your occupation in certain cultures. Children are not born as human beings, but as artisans, peasants, soldiers, and so forth. So based on what you're going to be in your life, that's how you're defined in society. Accordingly, he says, Pharaoh's first question to Yosef's brothers would naturally concern their occupation. So that's number one. You're defined by your occupation. Um, in Egyptian culture, I think that's true in a, certain, in a large sense. In our culture today, um, you might disagree, but, but I think in a certain sense, clearly we judge people based on their careers their, um, and how much money they make. So he says, he goes on to say, they were instructed to answer Pharaoh's questions candidly, to tell him the truth, that even though it would be unpleasant, even though, sorry, not that even though, even though it would be unpleasant, meaning because, again, because shepherd in Egypt was despised. For the Egyptians, loathing for, their bro- for the brothers' occupation, and in general, the nation's aversion to the Jews, to serve as primary factors in the survival of this race, which was destined to journey through the ages in isolation. 
So he's saying, historically, the Jewish nation, as we know, there's a concept throughout the Torah, I think we've mentioned, I'm sure we've mentioned this here in the past, known as Ma'ase Avot Siman Labanim. That means the actions of our forefathers and foremothers are tell our sort of history repeats itself. It tell us the future of the Jewish nation. So whatever they did, we don't assume they did just randomly. Um, it repeats itself. Many of the things that happened, the stories in Genesis, which is one of the reasons the stories are stated, they're just not just historical footnotes, they're stories. They actually tell us on how we, as a Jewish nation, um, should act in our exile, etc. So this was the first exile. So he's saying this was the prototype for all future exiles of the Jewish people. And he says, in order to, a primary factor in the survival is, for Jews, which is again, not so PC, is isolation. He says, as long as the moral mourn, which means mourning, I guess, had not dawned for the nations, the barriers they erected to isolate the Jews throughout history, as we know, were always put into ghettos, served to protect the Jews from becoming infected with the barbarism and the demoralization of the people in whose, in whose midst they had to walk for hundreds of years. In this case, he's referring to Egypt, um, but apply that to, to the cultures throughout our history, whichever one you want to apply it to. So he's saying that it actually was a protection for us, the fact that we were in ghettos. Yosef, therefore, immediately emphasizes the aspect that will arouse the aversion of the Egyptians. He tells his brothers, say that. Say that you're shepherds in order that they should despise you, because that's a good thing. You don't want to come to Egypt and become part of this culture. He lived the culture, Yosef and his family was living the culture of Egypt, and he said, you don't want to become part of this culture. It's not a good thing. His clear intention is that as a result, his brothers will be allocated a separate province in which to dwell. So, so basically what Versh is saying is a very, again, not so PC, he's saying that as Jews, we're the ones who, who want to be in a ghetto. He says, I don't think, I didn't put it here, but he goes on to say, he says, the, the Gentiles that we live amongst might put up the walls, the actual walls, but we want to be isolated. They might build the walls for us, but it's us making the choice to be isolated because if not, we become assimilated as we see, as we saw in Germany, which would happen, and as we saw in, as we see in our culture today, right, which is, there's no question, because there's no walls, and I'm not, I'm not promoting ghettos, but the fact that there is no walls and we're not isolated, and therefore we're losing many of our people to, to uh, assimilation. So it's just, uh, I found this is a fascinating thing. It's not really a topic I'm going to discuss, just a precursor to the topic. But, but it's, uh, it's, I've never seen this first time I saw it, preparing for this class, this written, very sharp language, as basically what it seems to be saying is that we erect our own ghettos, and it's not a bad thing. So something which, uh, especially as me and David being children of survivors, it's, uh, it's, we always you know that, at least I can speak for David, I was brought up as ghetto as a terrible thing, something where you shove the Jews in and you know, my father was you know, was uh, in the Warsaw Ghetto during World War II. He had uh, to he would go through the sewers to get out to get food for his family. So well, ghettos are not viewed as a good thing usually. Well, the ghetto in Mitzrayim, the Gosh, the, the the valley that they were, was the most lush and beautiful spot in Egypt. Now the Warsaw Ghetto was not a positive. Yes. In, in, in how um, we're talking about it. Oh, but the ghetto itself, what he's saying, I think what he's saying, it is a positive that Jews stay together. And so you had uh, Naftali and Zabuth, two of the tribes. One was a businessman, one was studying. They worked together. So they stayed together. So like I think it's the tribe of Dan that did the Smith work and yeah, meaning so the bronze and stuff. So yeah, it, no, it's been our history to be Right, there's no Seven. question, right, so that's what I'm getting at, so there's no question, I'm just saying, in my mind, I never thought of a ghetto as a good place, until I saw this, um, I saw this on Shabbat, the first time, I never viewed or thought of a ghetto as a good thing. The concept, yes, as a community, we're supposed to have a community and live together as a community, it's beautiful, but you don't think of a ghetto as Jerusalem something that's, he's saying, the city of Jericho right, is a ghetto. Right, you don't think of it as a good thing, he's saying ghettos are good for the Jews, in a certain sense, that's what he's saying. Obviously, yes, the ghetto of Goshen wasn't the same in a certain sense as the ghetto of, or eventually it did become. The Jews were persecuted in Egypt too and, and were herded together and lived in certain specific areas. Um, but but so the point I want to get to is, Scotty just mentioned, which is that this concept, what, the, what is the purpose? Why is the ghetto a good thing? Because we're saying it, it fosters a sense of community, it fosters a sense of brotherhood. 
because you're all stuck together, whether you like it or not, um, and you have to watch out for each other, etc. So this is, this is a topic, again, not such a PC topic, which I always wondered about. I've heard about it, I never got a chance to, to actually explore it. And I can never find much about it. And now, after preparing for this class, I realize why. Which is, I've always heard there's a concept um, in, in Judaism, which is that we're supposed to support Jewish-owned businesses prior to supporting other businesses. Again, that's so PC in our pluralistic world. doesn't sound so PC. Actually, in the, in the African-American community, this is a big thing. If you ever um, drove through Fondren, um, I wouldn't advise it, but if you've ever done that. So they have, you know, people handing out papers on the corner. Um, one of them is from the Farrakhan's group. I forgot the name of the group. Nation of Islam. Nation of Islam. But, but they have a newspaper. It's called the Calling. I forgot what it's called. So they hand it out many times in the corner. It's fascinating to read it. See the anti open anti Semitism. It's good to be reminded about I don't think there is anything wrong. <coughs> I think we ought to support our family first. Right. So I feel very about. strongly about it, and I don't hesitate saying that I would first and foremost support Jewish businesses or right. businesses so uh, that are in Israel or in America. So then, how do you feel right. when? You see it the other way. So I watch. I don't, I, 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 hang on, hang on. Let me, let me sorry. at least finish. I give you a specific example. So there's a law firm that advertises Christian lawyers. Mm -hmm. As a lawyer, I go, you know, I'm really not sure what a Christian lawyer is. I, I understand they're Christians, mm -hmm. and they're telling you, you know, and you're supposed to, I, tell you, I presume, believe that they're very, they're faithful individuals, but. I don't know what a Christian lawyer is. When I want a, you know, note and deed of trust drafted, I want a note and deed of trust drafted. I don't want it written. No, but I disagree. I, I could understand the concept because what they're saying is you want someone who understands your faith, who can relate to you, who's a man of faith. Okay. I, there's two parts to it. One is you might say trust someone of faith more than someone not of faith. That's maybe one thing, especially in the South. But that's one aspect. The other thing is... There's, I can relate to that person. I can relate to my values. Mm -hmm. have this, we share the same values. So you might not, you might not want a Christian lawyer as a Christian. But well, I'm, I'm, right. I'm. Really right, my just question is, right. as somebody who supports the concept, mm -hmm. how do you feel when it's the other way? You know what? This has been around for uh, centuries and generations, and uh, Christians, Muslims, never uh, shied away from wanting to support their own, and especially now with the BDS, I. I doubt, I don't know for a fact, but every Muslim-operated business here, even hearing from my friends who are peaceful Muslims, they are approached to pay, just like in gangster times, to pay uh, protection uh, or, or else. So I, my community, my Jewish community, supports itself, plus everybody else. So my obligation just like my obligation first to support my family i consider my jewish community is the next rung in that obligation mm -hmm. and if if it's a reputable business and if it's i would support my eden first and foremost mm -hmm. the same thing with the, the businesses that i s outside of even jewish community the restaurants those who support and supportive of our community, I would go to them first. I always look at which restaurants support Jewish community events. I would patronize them before I go somewhere else. So yes, I, this I is agree just my personal, but my personal I understand what David's coming from. I'm just playing devil's advocate. And with the, whether they're Christian, uh, they were, I'm not going to turn you uh, down if you go to them. They won't, because I ask that uh, Christian therapist, will you turn somebody down who is coming to you from a pre-Christian uh, time? <laughs> And they said absolutely not. So yes, it doesn't I'll bother. I'll tell you what, because I, I, I agree with you 100%. That's, as we'll see, that's the halacha, what you're saying. But when I, when I started saying, when I got this paper from Nation of Islam, and there's, you know, full page, you mm -hmm. know, headline saying, only buy black business, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. it bothered me. Even though I support Satanists, I think that's David's point. It's, it's, it's a beautiful concept, but when you see it used, you know, the other side, right. it could... You know, there's a right. certain distaste. Because I, yeah. I, I, I had that I, when I, I read really the do paper. The same. Uh, whether I practice it, you know, strongly or not as strongly, I, I, I really Your do the same. Your mentality is there, right. and. But mm -hmm. when I see it the other way, I go, ooh, whoa, I don't, I don't <laughs> know. Because I like that. we don't, because we don't publicize it. We don't. <laughs> oh, do we publicize only buy Jewish products? 
go ask Christian. any of the Jewish law firms, their clients are all Jewish. Somehow, no, that's the word, word is out. Yeah, but that's networking. Yeah, the, the word is out. And networking is always going to be within your community. The Jewish lawyers, because they heard the Jewish lawyers are good. Right. That, that by the way, is, is a urban myth of I know. Jews. I know. Of Jews. Oh, I don't know if that's true. He's an account, accounts for sure. He's an account. I advertise it. I mean, I get, I'm getting more and more Jewish. He's business. a Jewish account. I don't advertise it. Right. It just it I have not seen anybody standing on, on no. the corners and saying, only buy from Jewish businesses. I want to live to that day. No. <laughs> we, we, I, don't, I don't get more from it. I will say being observant has helped. Not, be, not, not from the Jewish perspective. It's the same thing with the Christian perspective. It's a true Christian. It's the morals and the values that they see. Because you take religion seriously, you get, they trust you more. Not because you're Christian or you're Jewish yeah, or whatever. Absolutely. There is a, a business that uh, one attorney gentleman started. That's his niche. Only divorce for men. Should we also sort of... Okay, so, so let me give you the, the unintended consequences of niche Okay. Italian. Yeah. Catholic. Well, well, okay. well, well, there's, there's a name for what you're saying, David. There's no, a I name. Right. right. But from Madoff to the local Ponzi schemes have been, well, well you know, if Yossi's in it, it's got to be good. Right. The so rabbi is in these the smaller. There's a name for it. It wasn't good, Yossi? The Ponzi scheme? <laughs> <laughs> No, no, your, your money's perfect. I, yeah. I, I guarantee it. 50 years from now, we'll meet here. It'll be there for you. I there. know. <laughs> I know. Thank God for that. Something. Um, you know, so the, the idea that you can just trust them because they go to your shul, you see them, you know, you, you, you have baseball seats together, whatever right. it is, mm -hmm. is a false I comfort of... There's a name for him. Looking, I'm trying to find. I agree. That but, supporting, but supporting, but you're you're not supporting Bernie Madoff. You wanted to make a quick buck. Supporting Jewish businesses is for for them to survive, to continue being part of the community. I, I you know. I, I, I'm not going to get enriched by having a six-dollar meal at a kosher cafe, but I want uh, it to uh, be for everybody. I don't know that I would enormously distinguish, I, I would, okay, one's immoral, I, I didn't say that at all, one's immoral, unethical, and criminal, but three brothers are selling hollas for five dollars a holla. <laughs> I mean, that's, 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 okay, we're going to, we're going to talk about that. That's appalling. So is the bagel shop now. Right. We're going to talk about that. He drove us all into baking challah at home. Like, homeschooling. Exactly. And it's better. And it's a dollar twenty. So maximum so for ten. You all have valid points. First of all, we're going to get to the, the cost moral, that situation. It's all about but, kashrut. But, the, but <laughs> the question is, so I, but you understand, I, I could speak about myself, that there was a certain uncomfortability when I see you know, only you know, patronize African-American stuff. That bothered me, even though, like you're saying, I support the same thing in life. So, so the first so time I heard the ad, the Christian lawyers too, I was like, wait a second. Uh, okay, and I'm not like, I'm not sure it offended me, but I, it definitely took me, I, I listened to it, I know the ad you're talking about. Because I absolutely was like, whoa, Christian. And if, and if that's not, if that's not discriminatory towards us, I believe that's discriminatory towards us. Well, if that's discriminatory towards us, then what's? How is it the other way? When Christians say, but we don't know if they, but we don't know if they will discriminate no. us. If you came to a Christian lawyer, do you think he'll turn you down? I don't think so. They'll, don't they'll think welcome you in. It, precisely. Yes. I don't think it's well, it's just I, 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 they, about, I'm thinking like more. <laughs> We're Christian. They're not saying we're Methodist, we're Baptist, we're Christian, meaning we're of the Judeo-Christian belief, meaning we're morally... We're people faith. of faith. But, oh, yeah. that but it took me a faith. couple of times, because when I first thought I was like you, I was, it, it absolutely... But then I just come, okay, maybe that's what they're saying, okay, I can get it, more godly or something like that. But at first it certainly was like, wait a second, Christian was... But I, I, yeah, and Cald that's, that's Caldwell, Caldwell, Caldwell. Is that right? Caldwell. 
I, I don't even. I, I, listen, I, I have a client. Uh, I coach him. He's a very senior position in financial institution. He is a very religious Christian, and he. I recommended that he goes through integrative therapy right now, as he's being coached for a higher level. And he said, "I would love to." And I said to him, recognizing that he's very religious. Do you want me to help you find somebody who's just a great therapist or someone who, with whom you can discuss some spiritual challenges? Mm -hmm. And this is what he said. I would like to, to go to somebody who is also... Uh, shares my, faith in, well, shares my faith and values. It, my, yeah, because yeah, he can no, talk absolutely. to me through the gospel of Jesus. Yeah, like but, that's, it, but that's therapy. That's but Christian? But not business. Christian. But no, I'm saying I'm talking about purely from the monetary perspective. Of course, a therapist, you want someone who can relate to you. The question is, if I'm doing business, do I need to do business with someone that can relate to my values? Or, yeah. listen, I'm making money. Who cares? If what the you value? find a store with African masks among the Africans better than among the Jews, go and buy there. <laughs> but I, yeah. I think so let's we see, understand the nuances. So what's amazing about this is we see, so I, I, always, I, never, I always heard about this concept. I couldn't find anything about it. What's amazing is it's not, so I called on yesterday when I decided I'm giving this class. Today was Sunday. So I called, I have a nephew who, who's a, a branch of mine in Florida, Miami. So he's J.I. in Florida. So I said, where can I find this topic? He happens to know a lot on business ethics. So, um, so he said it's actually not brought in the Code of Jewish Law. This concept is not mentioned in the Shulchan Aruch. It's not mentioned in the Code of Jewish Law. The whole thing, he says, as we'll see, is just a, it's a medrash, the source. So this is the source. So source number one is there's a, there's a verse that we've quoted before which discusses um, not to, that you can't charge more than a sixth of profit to someone. I mean, you can't make more than a sixth of the, of the value, the going rate on that item. We're not getting into that. That's what we discussed that in the past, known as onas. So in that same verse, this is the verse. The verse in Leviticus says, when you sell something to your fellow Jew, or make a purchase from your fellow Jew, so it's called not selling or buying, you must not wrong one another. That's the language. Some translators cheat. So obviously it doesn't mean plain cheating. Cheating is stealing. What it means is the, the, the Talmud interprets it to mean you can't charge them more than a sixth of the value of the item. Okay? So it's not an open, even though we believe in the concept of capitalism, open market, but there's a limit. You can't totally rip someone blind if they don't know what the value is and you're charging them, you know, for uh, whatever it is, for Dr. Pepper, you can charge them 10 bucks like they do in the airport. Yeah, of course, the airport's different, but... Right, whatever the case is. So that's so selling a sausage for ten fifty. No, so the game. So that's, that's, that's different. <laughs> so that's what? different. <laughs> no, the point is, in certain <laughs> no, places, like in the airport <laughs> or in the at a game, so that you're paying, so you're paying for uh, uh, whatever other things, not just for the sausage. Just the that's, that's what Star. That's how Starbucks explains <laughs> their exactly. five dollar cup of coffee. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the episode. It right. the now, so what's interesting? Yeah. Is that in this one of the questions? Is did you treat your fellow Jew fairly, business fairly? No, that's of? general. That's do you honest with you integrity? Do you did you have integrity? Your business dealings. That's business a general dealing. question. But that's this is from the no, Torah. No, no, this is a verse in the Torah. Yeah, okay. this is a prohibition in the Torah. So the the Sifra, which is a medrash, says like this: it says, "How does one know when he sells something? He should sell it only to a fellow Jew." Since it says they quote this verse, because the, the verse here says it's really a play on words. It says, "When you sell something to your fellow Jew." If you make a purchase to your fellow Jew, you shouldn't wrong him. So it's saying, the, the measure says, you see from here, since it says when you sell something to your fellow Jew, quote-unquote, and how do we know, meaning, so that's, you see that you should sell something when you're selling something, specifically try to sell it to a fellow Jew. And when, how do you know when you buy something, you shall buy it from your fellow Jew? Since it says, make a purchase, the, ver the verse says you must, when you make a purchase to your fellow Jew, you shall not wrong him. So it understands that to mean, when you're, you see, when you Buying and selling. Who should you be buying and selling to? To a member of the community. Except it skips over thinking about the word when. Right. Right. Well, when you sell something. When. No, but as see, opposed so to only. Right. Yeah, it's not saying, oh, but it's saying when you make a, when you're buying and selling, who should you sell it to? A fellow Jew. That's it's. A, you're right. It's just a medrash. It's not. Like I said, it's not brought in halacha. So the the only the original source is a, is I found is a is a response to them, which is written in the 1300s um, from the Ramah, who was an amendment to the Shulchan Aruch, but it's not quoted anywhere in Jewish law, this concept. So this is the whole source right here. 
Um, now the reasons given, so I found two reasons. One is, some people understand it, it's not telling you, it's not obligatory, it's just a nice piece of advice. What's interesting is the advice, they mention what we were talking about, they say, it's less, you're less likely to be cheated when, when doing business in the community with people you are acquainted with as opposed to unknown merchants. So it's a nice bit of advice, so you don't have to do this. Now, again, you can make the argument, um, and I can't, I can't remember the name, there's a name for Ponzi schemes, when you know the person, you know, who, when you're acquainted with the person, there's a certain name for that type of Ponzi scheme. I forgot the name. I tried to look it up. But, so the point is, sometimes it works against you. If, if it's advice, like we're saying, sometimes because you're in the church together, or in the synagogue together, so you know the person, so you trust them more, which is, doesn't always work for your benefit. But in regular situations, um, it, it can work to your benefit. The point is, you're not, it's not just a stranger. The person knows he's going to see you again, he's going to have to face you again, as opposed to just you know, doing a deal with someone who never going to see again, um, you're, you know, you're doing it over the internet, so there's less, there's more concern. But again, that can work pro against you, and that's just a question of advice. So according to this interpret reason given to the, for this concept, for this philosophy, it's just advice, it's not obligatory. The second um, part is, says it's obligatory. Second interpretation says, just as Maimonides' principle, which we discussed here, ad nauseum many times, that there's a concept in charity. When you give charity, so there's a hierarchy, you're supposed to give first to someone in the community, then someone in your city, then you can give to people in Rwanda or that have cleft palate or whatever the case is, right? So, so there's always a priority in giving. And Manny says, by the way, even about loans, that's really where it comes from. When the Torah says you shall lend money, we discussed that here also, that you should lend money to people, it says you shall lend Amitech, <coughs> your fellow, your fellow, understood to be your fellow Jew. So there's a, they discuss there, meaning if I have a choice, I can lend, I can lend money to someone who's Jewish or someone who's not Jewish. Um, so you're supposed to lend to the Jew because again, it's it's a charity lending money, though about not in, in certain sense, it's not a business, is is a sense of charity. You're helping the guy. So so my Maimonides' concept, as we discussed here, of charity is giving someone a job, helping someone get on their feet, even if you're helping them in their business. They have a business, and you're supporting their business, like you say, because. You, need, you happen to need flowers, so I'm going to order, instead of uh, ordering flowers from the Gentile merchant, I'm going to get it from the Jewish merchant. Plants and petals. Plants and petals, right? <laughs> so I'm helping the guy. It's a sense of charity. It's not that, I, you know, we're racist and we can only patronize Jewish businesses. What we're saying is, if I have a chance to help this guy's business or help that guy's business, the highest form of charity is helping someone get on their feet. So therefore, there's an obligation from, based on the laws of charity, to help to patronize the Jewish merchant as opposed to non Okay, so again, just a couple yeah. of observations. When you have a, I mean, business is business. So at the end of the day, right. people make uh, economical decisions. So to the merchant that has a captive audience, three brothers being an example, I'm picking on them, I've gone to them all my life, that's where I get my stuff. This is on tape, I love their holla, you know, on and on and on. But they have a captive audience, and they know it. So they charge a premium, which they're able to get, and whether it's a sixth more or 600% more, they're able to exploit that because of that feeling mm -hmm. in the community. Right, so we're going to talk about that. So what happens if the person is charging more in general, or they're exploiting the community? So we'll get to the page. Get the back here. I, I'm so just saying... It's, that's a very good point. I, I, my Excellent. point is broader, which is you, have, you always have unintended consequences. The unintended yes. consequence of uh, sending the brothers to Goshen of, of the advice mm -hmm. is you created a hardier strain of Jews who were together and able to withstand external forces. That was an unintended, he, maybe Joseph was so smart he, he yeah. did know that right. for 5,000 years to come, but that was an unintended consequence. Now there are other unintended consequences, which mean somebody who is, is in a position to sell and knows that he has a captive market can charge higher prices. Um, it can work against Jews if there are uh, thinking about the discriminatory aspect, you know, I've brought up lawyers, well, there's a ton of lawyers, but what if there's a shortage of wheat or corn or meat, and the, whoever the Christian is has it, says, oh, you Jews. You're last Whoa. of <laughs> You know, let me take care of my Christian brethren first. Oh, there's not mm. enough for you? Well, you know, I, I could have made it all go around, but... Well, 100%, sorry. they could end up working against... Well, they will against. sell it because we'll pay more. 
us, but it's, it's well, a valid point, meaning they could, yeah. it could end up working against us. It's a possibility, uh, no question. There could be unintended consequences of this. But, but the question before that... And just finally, yeah. when you all mingle together and co-mingle, and that's sort of the law, again, an unintended consequence is you don't broaden your population. Uh, genetics are genetics, just as economics is economics, and you end up with tie sacks and other diseases yeah, that get passed down. So every action has intended and unintended and unanticipated consequences. 100%. So we'll get, we'll, maybe we'll get back to but the But so the question here, if you turn to the back, so a few questions I put here. One is, so, so we're assuming now, that let's assume it's obligatory um, to patronize. We're saying all things equal would be obligatory. To every, let's say the price is the same, everything's the same, to patronize the Jewish business. Question is, what is what if it's supposed to be if? Excuse me, a typo. What if the Jew is selling at one price, but Walmart is selling at much cheaper? That's question number one. So I, you know, I, I love Sam Walton, but you're saying I have to patronize the Jew, the Jewish business. So does that mean I should I can't go to Walmart? Uh, now with Walmart, I can argue that there are plenty of Jews that own stock in Walmart and whatever. Okay. Uh, so with mean, a corporation, that's all different. I'm, I'm just that's wondering. Not Jewish, yeah. if, um, well. I, Look, if you're, no, if but the point if is you're looking for no, a business decision, assume. though, because somebody who's, who's, who's on a budget and they go to get a Holland's $5, and yet they could go down here and get a Holland that's $4. Okay, hope right now, the only ones in the city selling kosher Hollands are Jews. Okay, so. Oh, not true. Well, no. Randall's. 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 Everyone's. Well, that, that have H. Well, that are. They are kosher, but they're not Jewish. Right. They're kosher. We have, we have actually, so, for the first uh, right, time, we okay, have such an incredible and they're a lot cheaper, variety. Right? So, right. when Three Brothers three, is the three only one you yeah, buy, three three but now there are three different uh, kosher providers of halot in Belden's and in uh, Randall's and Kroger, and I don't feel like uh, the obligation anymore. I will buy a kosher challah, but I don't have to pay, as I said, $6. Price, but yeah. I still support a Jewish business. Okay, so we're going to get Let's see. Oh, so that's a good question. So question number one. You would go now and do. I mean, I, I would personally say go to if my three brothers, if three brothers, I think they're four. If three brothers is the only purveyor, this is because kosher challah, let's say, is important to me. But now that there are three, four different kosher right. halot on the market in the same area. But they're not as good as three brothers. No, they're That's actually, actually, actually some of them are very good. Yeah, my wife doesn't like them. Three brothers maybe only last for two I don't days. feel, you know, I don't you feel obliged. I'll like just tell you, by the way, three brothers has complaints. We. Um, complained? Yes, the owner, what's his name? Uh, Jucker. Jucker, Bobby. Why did he complain? No, he said that, uh, you know, well, Jews are going to Randall's because you guys uh, give the supervision on Randall's now. I'm suffering. They need to support the Jewish business. It does feel like, I mean, of course, obviously, <laughs> it's going to feel like that. But now what about why are you giving, why is, as the HKA, are you what giving supervision on the non, to non-Jewish uh, businesses and that are hurting the Jewish business? Uh, obviously, he's going to feel like that because he's the owner. But you know that he was just profiled on Good Morning yeah, America? Yeah, they had to close down the... the same price. Okay, one thing, I got, I got to finish. <laughs> 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 Memorial's higher. I'm, I'm so, so the question number one, what happens if Walmart's cheaper? Yeah. Number two, what if the Jew is charging above cost? So, meaning, like you're saying, he's exploiting... Well, not exploiting, but... he's charging above cost. No, I mean above, above, <laughs> above the, the value. Above the going value, that's what I mean. Oh, okay. you know, so, what if the price is the same? will take much extra effort to buy from the Jew. Meaning, so they're equal in price, but this guy, I have to schlep, you know, I live in Moral, to schlep the three brothers, whatever the case is, or just more effort involved. The deal is going to be harder. Is, you know, you know I'm gonna, he requires me to have... You know, to have a lawyer at the at the deal, and the other guy doesn't. So there's more involved. Price ends up the same. That's question number three. Question number four: Is there a difference if buying for investment purposes or for needs? So meaning, if I'm buying a property for investing, or I'm buying it personally, so I have to use the Jewish broker or not? So is there a difference in that? So the first question is expense. So what happens if it's more expensive? So I found this discussed in a response from uh, someone named. Uh, it's a book called Minchat Yitzchak it's written in Israel he died around 20 years ago he was a, a judge in the rabbinical court in Jerusalem so he says he discusses what financial loss was one suffer for the sake of this mitzvah so again he's assuming it's obligatory what, how much financial loss do you have to take so he says some rules so he brings different opinions he, brings, he says some rule that one must endure a loss of up to one sixth based on this verse as you mentioned others say even a small loss would be sufficient to absolve one of the mitzvah it means once 
there, there's a difference in price, you're off the hook. You don't have to support, patronize the, the Jewish business. Some say it would depend on the financial ability of the consumer, which I don't understand why that should make a difference. When it depends on your financial ability, why should that make a difference? They all agree. Right, but this is they're, they're like you, you know, you can certainly afford a, a bigger hit than I can. So for, for me to say five bucks and you to say five bucks, I think is what he's saying. Yeah, but I'm saying you usually don't find that. In Jewish law, it's subjective. You can't start saying, well, it depends on the sliding scale. It doesn't work. I mean, if you, you know, you, you know, if it's $700 an hour, I make about $20 an hour. <laughs> I mean, you you know, so I mean, there's a little difference there, and which yeah, but I'm saying, but we usually you don't. You going to three in, brothers in, and going to cost law, you what it cost me. It's very hard to apply stand a sliding scale. The value is not how much you afford; it's different. Well, I don't know, Rabbi. Yeah, there, there's so many things ability. that go into somebody who I know who lost the job, lost yeah. the husband in in great economic need, and the only thing, she, and she, in, a, in a wheelchair, the only thing she can do, she bakes. So we pay 40-50% over More. what we can get at... Right, so that's charity. That's, yeah. Well, I, I don't even... I no, mean, it's, it's, support it her. Charity. So yeah, it's more expensive it's than buying at Walmart or even Three Brothers, but that's her only income. Right. So, 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 so it's that's not a, always just right. money. Saying, there are it's other not things. a black and white. So we are thinking, I'm thinking... No, but that's the point. We're saying the point of this law is that's charity, that's stuck. Helping a widow or whatever the case is, someone who, who needs the money, that's, that's charity. That's the highest form of charity. That's exactly the point of this whole philosophy. So the, the last thing is what David mentioned before, very very important. I left the F is just a typo there. It says all agree. If the store is taking advantage and overcharging, there is no mitzvah, then you absolve. So meaning if they're, if they're like you, what was the word you used before? Um, exploiting the situation because they know they're the only show in town and, and the Jewish community needs challah. So that's ex exploitation. So then everyone agrees you do not have to use them. Okay, so that's important to know. So I yeah, have to define exploitation, but but uh, but he's saying very clearly. Okay, now what about the extra effort? So I found a different response. It says uh, that one should go should go the extra mile, quote mm. unquote, by executing. Uh, is that a real word? Enduring discomfort. Extra effort and, and enduring discomfort for the sake of supporting your brother. So meaning this mitzvah, you say what I uh, I don't have the whole thing. I didn't put the whole thing down, but he says you shouldn't feel like just because, uh, you know, oh, it's extra effort, you know, I'm off the hook. You should, this is an important concept of supporting your brethren. Again, coming from the, it's viewed as charity, and therefore, um, you, even if it means extra effort, it, it should be done. It doesn't get you, according to this opinion, he says, it doesn't necessarily get you off the hook. Now, again, it doesn't mean you have to drive 30 miles, you know, if my local Randall's selling challah, and then, you know, kosher challah, let's assume, and, uh, you know, three or whatever, like pizza or whatever you want to support is 20 mile drive I don't think it means you have to get in the car you're obligated to drive 20 miles to get to support your local business I'm not sure that, you know it obviously has to be aligned somewhere okay it means if it's an extra bother you know extra discomfort that doesn't get you off the hook technically now I found many examples many different examples of when this is not applicable um, and it seems like across the board there are many in many cases it won't be applicable so one is um, I found one example would be, it says, we're making a living from the transaction, meaning he calls it in Hebrew, the term he used in a, in a sefer was Yorit Kedei Chayev. When the person's doing it, as you mentioned, this is their livelihood. You know, they're, they're not, you know, um, selling here because, they, you know, they're millionaires and this is sort of a hobby for the wife is cooking, is baking, whatever the case is. Or this, is this is their paying their bills, paying the bills with this, with this business. So that's, that's when this is applicable. If someone has a major business, and this you know, and they they're way beyond, the, you know, they're just putting money into their 501k, and this is you know, and they're you know, they could have retired 20 years ago, and they're just doing this because whatever they want to help their grandchildren, whatever the case is. So then you're not obligated to to support them. It's again, it's viewed from the charity level. So this is getting them on their feet. This is keeping them on their feet. I have an obligation to support that business. But if it's above and beyond that, again, this is one opinion. Then you're not obligated in, in this mitzvah. Of, again, listen, you want to support, it's a beautiful thing, you want to support the community, but I don't have to do it, again, only when it's, when it's sort of from the charitable perspective. Um, it's this other opinion I saw says it's not applicable outside of Israel because um, the way he puts it, first of all, I, I think it seems to be, and he doesn't say it explicitly, but there's somewhat a concern of racism. If you're living in, in other words, we don't require someone living in, the, in exile, so to speak, in the diaspora, 
to go and start only supporting these people, first of all, it might look bad in the general community. I think that seems to be a concern. Um, as opposed to in Israel, where this is, we're all part of the community. And by the way, this is it's interesting, especially now. I don't know if you saw what was going on the last few weeks after that terrorist attack. There are many places, even municipalities. There was one municipality in Israel that said they're not hiring Arab workers. They fired all their Arab. Um, and the government said it's racist. They, they can't do that. They were building kindergartens. They said they have to hire them back. Um, so it was a lot of this very relevant to that topic, meaning, um, just thinking of this as I'm talking, uh, meaning you, you can't, in a certain sense, you don't want to live in a society where we're saying, you know, we're only hiring certain people, we're only going to hire you know, Jews for this job. It doesn't fit well or sit well in society at large. So you have to be careful when you're dealing. That's why, as I said, I started saying it's not such a PC topic. There is this concept of you need to be careful how it's presented in, this, in the community, etc. So I think that's why this opinion is saying it's only applicable in Israel, where the community we have a Jewish community, and we have we can decide what the parameters are in our in our country. Um, number three is uh, well, this is really so. What's I'm not sure. Remember why about this? It seems the same as number one. It says purpose is to ensure that fellow Jew has income. Beyond that, there's no obligation to patronize. Um, so, I understood this before. Because what's the difference between number one and one and three? I believe um, number three is saying again, like we're saying, really what I the way I explain number one is number three that anything beyond income for the person you're not obligated. Number number one is saying their their whole business is based on this is. This is the business that's a, that's um, what's called. I mean, if you don't buy from them, you buy from their competition. That's going to affect their bottom line. That's number one. Yeah, but today is different, Rabbi. We don't know. Oh, well, you have multi if, if, if big companies. It's true. Even uh, two million. Uh, dollar homes, but in a real, you know, regular 1,500 square feet, then we decide, well, they're really not making a lot of money. And so we have to... Right, we it's have hard to, to judge. Like, when I said, like, for example, Home Depot, by the way, is, hard I don't to know judge if you know, today Home Depot what? is started by a, it's a Syrian family that, that started Home Depot, and a Jewish Syrian family. So I was saying, you know, speaking to my study partner this morning, I said, well, we have the, uh, Lowe's or Home Depot, so we should buy Home Depot. Is that, is that what this is saying? So I said, that's ridiculous, because, first of all, it's a corporation. They're both corporations. They're not... They're publicly traded. I think both of them, even though the majority of the stock might be owned, still owned by the Syrian family. She met him once. Syrian met Jewish him. family. Syrian Jewish family. So, so do we say? So obviously, it's not applicable in that case. We say, "Loads of Home Depot. Let me go to Home Depot because it's owned by a Jewish family." But, but I think you, that's you, what you're saying. You touched on a topic about uh, hiring practices. So this Christian lawyers continues to reverberate in my brain. It bothers me. So, so what happens when <clears throat> he says? You know, look, the three partners here are Christian, but there's five other lawyers, and they have to have Christian values. I can't. How can I advertise? So I can only hire Christian <coughs> lawyers. Okay, maybe everybody would say, "Well, yeah, that makes sense." Well, my clerks need to be Christian. I can't have a you know a Muslim at the front desk. I mean, how can I be a Christian? You know, I'm advertising Christian values. I I, I gotta have. All Christians in the back. Oh, that's right. So that could be a legal problem. It's no, well, no, but no. we're not talking about legality. No, we're talking about right. how yes. it looks. <laughs> you know, Lydia's. No, I'm just. I'm, I'm not jumping on you, but I'm. You know, I need to support the Jew. So if three brothers says, "Listen, I need people. I I, I got to have people behind the the glass shelves here who are Jews, so that the Jews walking in will feel good about the Jew about this being a Jewish business. I I, I can't be hiring African Americans. Oh, come on." I mean, I like them, but not, sure, not you're here. taking it a little bit to a yeah. different uh, level. I don't but think look, so. yeah. the Christian schools only hire, and they say it has private business, religious. You have to be Christian to work in our schools. Yeah, they do they're not in trouble that? with law. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A Christian yeah. religious school, you have to be a Christian. But TCU, but but by, by the and way, they that, that is against the law. Is period. It? But I've seen that in print. We're talking about. What is the right thing for us to do? Not is the, not what's the right thing for them to do. What they're doing is absolutely against the law. It's not a close call. They cannot do that. The Jewish Federation cannot left, hang yeah. cannot hang a shingle out right. and say we only oh, hire sure. Jews. And I and I agree period. with that. I don't think that should be the now case. Now they can come up with criteria yeah. that are objective. Yeah. No, but but I but I think it's true. Like I let's say my kids' school, it's a Jewish religious school. They want people who, in a certain sense, share their values. Because, uh, listen, I'm paying a lot of tuition. I want to make sure that the teachers, who, even the secular studies teachers in a certain sense, have similar values. If they're teaching evolution, I don't want them just 
presenting evolution harm to present to both sides with, of the coin. You have to come up with objective legal criteria, criteria that you define that can end up in, in which you end up with all Jews or yeah. all Christians. But, there has to but be you can't have as criteria. the first sentence, we only hire of the, right. of the Christian faith. Right. You can and define what you want. Right. And but the Christian lawyers do not say that they're uh, hiring only Christian. They're, they're, we are the Christian lawyers. They don't say that they will not hire somebody else or will turn the business. I, I, I'm, I'm saying that. I think it's a, it's a very quick slope. Talk about a slippery slope. slope. I think it's a very quick slope. Yeah, if I came uh, in and I was a client and, and I'd come in there and because I wanted a Christian lawyer and I saw somebody with a headdress, mm -hmm. you know, who I would assume to be Muslim. Or a kippa. I, or a kippa, right. yeah. Yeah, let's say you, 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 you needed a clerk and you call, for, you know, you, you're receptionist went on uh, vacation for three weeks call the temp. All, all of a sudden you know with, with not enough notice and you call the temp agency and they got you somebody out immediately and there sits Yossi Grossman <laughs> <laughs> so the do I look Jewish? Shalom, Shalom. I, when they send him home at at nine fifteen, <laughs> saying whoa whoa. No, know. that's illegal. That's illegal. right. That's well, I'm but telling you do that, that anyway. that's the yeah. slope that I think only favoring one group takes you down. I know. It's, uh, yeah, I think you, you need to be careful. I think that's listen. That's what happened. That's that, the debate now that in Israel. What's I happening? Have no problem Should they hire our workers or not? It's just Very scary patronizing thing. a business now. Uh, the the. What you, what you decided to do as a consumer... Right. That's, I'm only talking thing. from the consumer point of view. What, what the business and employers choose to do, I, I find troublesome. Right. Yeah. So we, we really our, we never discussed Our area that. of concern is so much smaller than our area of influence. So I only... <laughs> I, I only... You know, this is... question is... How, you know, I, I think the reason we have the class and the question is always, what should our behavior be? Mm -hmm. I, I don't worry about, yeah, you know, exactly. what they're doing across the hall. Yeah. I only try to, you know, what, what, what should my behavior be? I have personally, I mean professionally, I have been amazed by people from all religion and all walks of life and distraught and betrayed by people from all religions and all walks <laughs> of life. So mm -hmm. when I hire, I they hear it from me right away. There is no race, color, gender. Don't even bring it up. I have a story to tell myself. Married, that's all that counts. But we don't know how other businesses operate. I'm just saying from me as a consumer, I prefer to help Jewish small businesses um, or big businesses or whatever because, and I forgot to add one more caveat. Caveat, one more caveat. If they if they support the Jewish, I think I did. If they support yes, the Jewish true. community back, that's very important. To yeah, it's true. Yeah. So I just want to add the last the last note is it says he says the mitzvah only applies to buying on a permanent basis, not for convenience. I'm not sure what was what meant mean? by that. I think it means let's say you're going in to buy a Dr Pepper Coke. You know, you're just going in convenience. You're you're on a trip. Oh. You don't have to go driving around looking oh. for. Oh, oh yeah! Thank goodness. In every direction. Who owns Bucky? The guy who has a leg jacket. It's a Buckman. Mr. Buckman owns Bucky. It's a nice Jewish boy. Who is it? Brian Miller does. Brian Miller is a client of Brian's. I used to do the books. It's a guy that's my age that was called Beaver in high school and started out having seven convenience stores in the present, uh, Missouri County area. Brilliant concept. And grown with few men. Do you still work for Jim? No, 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 it's going back. Oh, what is Brian does. Hmm? Brian, right. Brian. He's done, he's done land appraisals right. for them, yeah. What is this, his name? Applin, A-P-L-I-N. Beaver, as his first name, <laughs> Beaver. try to get a class. Don, yeah, and Don Wasik. Don Wasik, works Beaver. with him? Brian. Brian Miller is the guy who comes in. Brian oh, yeah, Miller. yeah. yeah. From, from yeah. So he, he does. His company does. Appraisals, yeah. 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 Uh -huh. So he told me because I was talking about taxes? going kosher. Yeah. I know a lot of their stuff is kosher. Yeah, it is. Um, they so try to buy wherever they have their store. So was, they buy local. So I, Brian said maybe he'll set me up with him to get him to get HK and on the Beaver bikes. Yeah. Well, the Bucky's has nothing kosher. No, they, they repackage. Nothing is theirs. Everything's repackaged. So a lot of their stuff is kosher. You just don't know. That hummus thing is Peter. Yeah, they they have Peter Pal hummus. They started selling yeah. it. But, but it doesn't say Peter Pellin. Oh, really? <laughs> it says, yeah, it says.
the MP3 project from the Jewish Ethics Institute. For a complete selection of our lectures, please visit our website at j-ethics.org. Shalom. Thank you.